This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. We are taking the gospel to the world. Pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. One truth that will be delivered in love and compassion, connecting every one person to all that God has promised them. Today. Today. Today with Jeff Vines. Hello and welcome to Today with Jeff Vines. Today we have a new message in our series on Daniel. Daniel strived to live a godly life in an ungodly world. In this message on suffering and healing, Pastor Jeff will look at the famous story of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego who were thrown into a fiery furnace as punishment for not worshipping the king's statue. Here's Pastor Jeff with the message. We are in a series uh, that we've called Now, and it's a series that takes a good look at the book of Daniel because Daniel lived in a time where he was desperate in trying to live a godly life in a world that uh, did not have a particular affinity for God. And so we've taken a look at his culture and the challenges he might have faced, and we've asked the question, how can we do the same? How can we live a godly life in an ungodly world? And we're discovering a lot of things along the way. And now we come to chapter three, a famous chapter. Most of you who've read your Bible know that this is the famous chapter where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, where do they end up? And the fiery furnace. Now, in preparation for this message, uh, I decided to do a Google search. I wanted to find some brand names or some names of famous companies with which you're familiar, but you didn't necessarily know why they called them the name that they called them. Like Google. Do you know why they call it Google? And yet you know Google, don't you? Amazon. Why, why do they call it Amazon? Or how about this one? How about GoDaddy? That could be dangerous. I mean, how about that? How about Coke? I mean, in today's world, that you could get confused. Hey, I'll have a Coke. So you are familiar with names, but you don't necessarily know the history or context of the name. And unless you do, it, it, it's really hard to understand. But as I'm Googling and I'm going down, you know, when you're Googling, you can type in a couple of letters and Google starts immediately trying to guess what you want based on your history of searching. For some reason, I put in a couple of letters to Google something because I do these PowerPoint presentations that go with my message, and I'm trying to find images that will kind of bring to life something or some point I'm making. So I'm Googling images, and for some reason, I must have typed in CH, and it took me directly to childhood cancer. Now, what started as a real up evening turned into a real state of depression, I mean, I'm serious. I went into a deep, dark place. I think that happens to all of us. And as I stared at the faces of these kids who were facing cancer, I just started going into this dark place of depression. You start thinking about, man, who are the parents who are having to face this with their kids? You've often heard me say that the love a parent has for a child is like unlike any other love. 
And these are parents that don't know if their kids are going to be alive next week, next month. And think about the, think about the experiences of childhood that have been taken away from these kids that they'll never get back. Some of them will survive, some of them will not. But can you imagine, as I look at these faces, uh, just the recognition of the suffering and the pain that people experience in the world? And I started to remind myself that we all have a breaking point with God. Every one of us has a moment in our lives when we're looking at something or experiencing something, and we have great difficulty harmonizing that with our belief in a good and merciful God. Something's happening, we just can't harmonize. In fact, you know, as I travel all around the world, the number one accusation against the God, the Christian God, the God of the Bible, is the amount of unjust suffering. Earthquakes and floods and famines, genocide and wars and conflicts and cancer and disease and poverty. I have been confronted many times with the question, Pastor Jeff, I would like to believe in your God, but the idea of an all-powerful, all-loving God cannot possibly exist given the predicament of the universe. Now, having traveled so much over the course of my life, this is a troubling issue with every worldview. I have sat across the table from a Buddhist monk. I have sat across the table from a Hindu philosopher. I have spoken in circles with atheists, with Islam, And so I know where they're coming from. And every worldview has to answer this primary question. I think I told you the first five years of my ministry here, I often use the example of a a group of missionaries that were traveling in Thailand, the American missionaries, they were taking food, clothing, and aid up into the mountains up on the Burmese border. And their bus was hijacked and looted. And uh, after everything was taken, they burned the bus. And all the people died. The, American, the State Department demanded an answer from the Thailand government. Are you going to investigate? Too many Americans lost their lives. These were good people who were just trying to deliver aid. Can you give us an answer? Finally, after months and months, the Thailand government wrote a response to our State Department and basically said this, the karma they inherited we're not responsible for, therefore we've got nothing to do with it. Here's what they're saying. These people who were murdered, obviously did something bad in a previous life, so they're they're getting what they deserve. I sat across the table three years ago from a Hindu philosopher. I was trying to learn as much as I can from or about Hinduism. In fact, he gave me a book called Why I'm a Hindu, and I've been going through it trying to understand world religions. And he seemed to be glad that the new generation of Hindus were not loyal to Hinduism at all. In fact, they were loyal to nothing. They believed that the world is nothing, life has no meaning, life has no purpose, And he said, that's a good thing. That will give them an enormous sense of freedom. And my response to him is, yeah, but what happens when suffering comes and they are thrown into the furnace? And he said, oh, that's no problem. All pain and suffering is an illusion. It's an illusion. There are thousands upon thousands in Islamic nations who are coming to Jesus through dreams as Christ reveals himself. And I think that the reason so many in Islam, like Iran, Pakistan, Afghanistan, are open is because they cannot harmonize the arbitrary will of Allah with the pain and suffering of their lives. Now listen carefully. And then, of course, you've got atheism. Atheism fails to even justify the question. Because in atheism, there's really no problem with suffering because the weak must die in order that the strong can survive. 
Every worldview must answer the question, the most penetrating question of humanity, pain and suffering in the world. When you come to the Bible, the biblical narrative forces you into a decision. You cannot remain neutral. It forces you to decide what kind of God will you take with you into the furnaces of your life. Because the furnaces will come. So what kind of God will go with you into your furnace? And is the answer that you give subjective based on feelings or do you have some kind of objective point of reference that you can know God is like this? And so in Daniel 3, the story unfolds in verse 1 as King Nebuchadnezzar decides to make an image of gold. 90 feet high, 90 feet wide. That's pretty obtrusive. <laughs> he sets it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And he says, you know what? This is the political glue that is going to hold these people groups together. I have conquered many nations. So how can I demonstrate some kind of unity in all this diversity? Because King Nebuchadnezzar wants all the children to play nicely together in the sandbox. So he comes up with this great idea. I'm going to have a religious ceremony. I'm going to erect a statue out in the desert or out in the plain of Dura, and everyone's going to come. And here's the thing. You can all worship your own gods as long as you worship other people's gods as well. And this will unify us. This will be the glue that holds us together. Now, there's nothing to suggest in history that there was any form of divination among the Babylonian kings. So this was not a statue of Nebuchadnezzar. It was just a statue representing the pluralistic number of gods in Babylonian culture. So Nebuchadnezzar says, everybody out to the plain of Dura, we're gonna sound the trumpet, the satraps, the lyres, everything. We're gonna play all these weird instruments and everyone is gonna bow down. You're gonna worship your own God. And there's only one restriction in this whole endeavor. That is no one can say that their God is the only God. Now the only people group that that's going to impact are the Hebrews because they are monotheistic. They believe in one God, one creator and sustainer of all things. Now, as you get into the story, I think Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had to know this day was ultimately going to come. Everyone comes to a point in life where they have to choose between two gods. Everybody. And what you do in that moment makes all the difference because it reveals who you truly are. Right? So young men... You're tempted to sleep with the girl you're not married to. At that moment, you get to decide, are you going to serve this God or the God of sex? You choose in that moment, and it reveals who you are. You own a company. You've got a chance to gain a contract, and that contract is going to earn a lot of money. You're going to clear a lot of money, but you're going to have to do unethical things. At that point, you get to decide which God you serve, this God or the God of money. It happens almost every day in your life where you get to choose between the two. You're going to stare at something on a computer screen. You get to decide, am I going to serve this God, the real God, or the God of my narcissistic way of living that I'm going to do what makes me happy right now, no matter who it offends and no matter what it does. So they've known Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the day that they moved out of the Kabar Canal over into Babylon as the prophet Jeremiah had told them to do, they knew the day would come when they're probably going to die because they're going to be forced between two gods. Now, I want you to notice something. When King Nebuchadnezzar passes this edict, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, notice what they do in the midst of great opposition. They do not hold a violent protest against furnaces. 
They don't picket downtown Babylon, put it into all furnaces. They don't picket the palace. Instead, here's what they do in verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. That's a classic line. King Nebuchadnezzar would probably say, well, you do if you don't want to die. And they say, king, we're not going to defend ourselves. They know that if someone forces you to worship a God in whom you do not believe, that's that's completely nonsensical. So there's no use arguing with King Nebuchadnezzar about this. You're not going to win a debate like that. You're, you're, not, you're not only not on the same page, you're not in the same library. It's a different way of thinking. So they say, you know what? We don't have to defend ourselves, but here's the deal. We're not going to bow down and worship these false gods. No shouting, no screaming, just a quiet and peaceable life and a resolve to do what's right. And they end up saying, if God wants to say something, he'll speak for himself. And notice what happens next, and notice where the real intolerance in a pluralistic world is. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual. Now, what do you mean changed? Well, well, King Nebuchadnezzar actually liked Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel. He actually had an affinity for them because they were wise. They had offered him good advice in the past. And they had risen to the top levels of the wise men of Babylon. So he actually liked them. He really, a part of him didn't want to kill them. But you can't disobey the king. And in King Nebuchadnezzar's mind, he's thinking, dudes, you know, I, I, I could have killed you in Jerusalem when I took your people captive, but I didn't. I, I hired you guys and put you in among the wise men of Babylon. And I've, I've treated you really well, but now it's time for you to repay the favor I've passed this law, time for you to obey. But King Nebuchadnezzar severely underestimated to whom Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were loyal. It wasn't to him. It was always to God. And they were going to use their faith and their convictions, hopefully, to impact Babylon. And this is one of those times, though, I'm convinced that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they saw the edict passed, believed this is the end of our lives. Well, it's been a good run, but we're going to die in the furnace. Now, let me go back and say this again. It's just a matter of time before what you believe and what you say you're committed to and what you stand for will come into direct conflict with the world around you. And you, you will choose. And in that moment that you choose, it will be a glaring, glaring reality of who you really are. That's why Jesus said in Luke 6, beware when all men speak well of you. Man, if, if you're never in conflict and no one ever rips you apart for your faith, and you never have to take a stand for anything and no one ever belittles you, it's because you have successfully assimilated into the Babylonian culture. There's no distinction in your life. Anybody who serves God faithfully and that decides you're gonna have no other gods before you, you're gonna, have, you're gonna be ridiculed and I promise you, conflict will find you. Which is why in 2 Timothy, Paul says, all who live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It's gonna happen. And so, the time comes for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Their response in verse 17, King, if we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he doesn't, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you've set up. So here's what they're saying. King, just because God is able doesn't mean he's obligated. God could heal my wife, so he better. God could get me that job, so he should. 
God could get me that house. Let's go. God could help me pass that test. I asked him to do that. He ought to do it. God could help me get the girl. God could help me get the guy. Yeah, he could, but he's not obligated. And to say that God is not loving because he doesn't do what you think he ought to do reduces God to your own image. It means that you assume your wisdom somehow is greater than his, that there's no way there could be a greater cause than your little narcissistic reality, that there's no greater purpose in life other than what you want in any given time and given place, that God does not have the capacity to place things on an eternal scale and weigh them all out and say, based on where history is going and what I need to accomplish, this I'm going to spare you from, but this you're going to endure because there is a purpose greater than all of us. I'm going to do what's best for eternity. Now, look at what happens next. He ordered the furnace heated, that is king, seven times hotter than usual, commanded some of the strongest soldiers in the army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. And he said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Now, wait a minute. What does King Nebuchadnezzar know about the Son of God? Well, nothing. That's not what he said. He saw something. That even in the raging flames, the fourth figure walking around and the power or the aura of it, the nature of the figure immediately showed Nebuchadnezzar that it was something not natural but supernatural. That the nature of that figure looked like, in his understanding, a son of the gods. So whoever the fourth guy in the furnace was, he didn't look like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Looked like something else. In verse 28, Nebuchadnezzar is so impressed, he says, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. So is that, is that who's in the furnace? Now, are you with me? You're gonna have a headache for the next eight to 10 minutes. But at least I forewarn you. But if you'll stay with me, it'll all come out. In the Old Testament, there is this one figure that keeps showing up again and again and again, and he's referred to as the angel of the Lord, and it's in all caps in he, in the, as we translate it from Hebrew into English. You say, well, aren't there many angels? I mean, there's Gabriel, there's Michael, and there's others. Yes, you're right. In fact, Michael and Gabriel seem to be very popular in the Old Testament. They, they play historic, key historical roles as God moves history along toward his primary objective. But there's this one figure that shows up a lot. I mean, he's always showing up. You know, he's like my wife at Costco, always there. <laughs> and so in Exodus 3, the angel of the Lord comes into the burning bush. And as it burns, we're told the angel of the Lord is there. But then Moses gets near it. And suddenly, the voice is described as the voice of the Lord. So which is it? Is it the Lord or the angel of the Lord? In Joshua 5, Joshua goes out to investigate Jericho the night before the big battle, and he suddenly sees this towering man in full armor standing before him. And he goes before him and he asks, are you for us or for them? And do you remember this intimidating figure says, no, no, proving that multiple choice has been around for over 2,000 years. And that D, none of the above, has always been around. It's always been part of the answer. Because he says, no, I'm not for you. I'm not against you. I am the commander of the Lord's host. Okay, so you're Michael or Gabriel. 
You're an angel of the Lord. But then the angel or the warrior says, take off your shoes, man. You're on holy ground. Hit the deck. You're in the presence of the Lord. Wait a minute. Whenever somebody tries to worship an angel in the Bible, they are immediately told, yo, don't do that, dude. I'm a created being just like you. Get up. You'll get us both killed. Worship is reserved for God and God alone. But this angel who keeps showing up that's referred to as the angel of the Lord talks as if, takes worship as if he's God. So who is this? Nebuchadnezzar doesn't know. He just says it looks like a son of the gods. looks like something supernatural. But you and I know, right? We know. Who is from the Lord but not the Lord, yet is the Lord at the same time? Who is that? Let me help you in John 1. In the beginning was the Word. Okay, the Word. The Word was with God. Well, I thought it wasn't. No, it's with God. No, wait a minute. And the Word was God. Well, which is it? And he was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And then verse 14 says, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So who is this? Jesus. It's the pre-incarnate Son of God. Jesus did not come into existence in the manger. He's part of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And it appears, it looks like God just said, you know, let's have some fun. Let's send you down in other forms before you go to the baby in the manger. How would you like to be a warrior today? Yeah, I'll be a warrior, warrior. How would you like to be just an angel? Yeah, I'll be an angel. How would you like to be, how would you like to be part of three guys under an oak tree talking to Abraham? Yeah, I'm in. Jesus is not merely a son of the gods. He is the son of God who will one day be born in a manger and will take away the sins of the world. One God, one Savior for all who call on his name, right? So, okay, Pastor Jeff, so what do we have here? You know what we have? When the Son of God goes into the fiery furnace, do you see what's happening? We have the ultimate answer to the question of pain and suffering. And do you know who understands what's happening here? Nebuchadnezzar. He understands that this entire thing has been a contest. Verse 29, therefore I decree that all people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble. Have you noticed that Nebuchadnezzar loves piles of rubble? He, oh, you better do what I say, I'll turn you into a pile of rubble. And then I'll go over to your house and I'll turn it into a pile. He does this all the time. He loves this piles of rubble thing. And then he says, for no God can save in this way. In what way? He gets it. When people say to me, Pastor Jeff, I, I want to believe in your God, but I can't. I can't believe in Christianity because the furnaces and sufferings of the world, I can't harmonize the two. And I usually say, okay, but the furnaces are going to come into everyone's life in some form or another. Every single one of us, sooner or later, you're going to go into the furnace. And you can live your entire life as a furnace avoider, but sooner or later, the heat's going to come. And part of my frustration of doing ministry for so long down in the South Pacific and Australia, New Zealand, is there's a type of Pentecostalism in that part of the world that says, it is never God's will for you to face a furnace. And I'm thinking, dude, are we reading the same Bible? Have you heard of Paul? Have you heard of Paul? Prison, shipwrecked, beaten, tortured. I'm sure there were times he was sitting in prison writing and he was saying, God, you know, I could be of a lot more use if I was outside these prison walls. You heard, you heard of Jesus? Good guy. Suffered a lot. Daniel, the lion's den. Joseph in prison. Moses in the wilderness for 40 years. 
The furnaces are coming, and the real question, what kind of worldview will you take with you? What kind of God will go objective now, not the God that you feel exists, the God that truly exists. What God will you take with you into the furnace, and what God will go with you into the furnaces of your life? Because they're coming, and do you not think it matters? You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Thanks for joining us. Next time, we'll bring you the rest of this message from Pastor Jeff. Jesus was looking into the furnace He was about to go into, and it's the furnace of the punishment you and I deserve. It's because of what we do to each other, but it wreaks havoc on humanity. And the Bible constantly tries to give us a God who does not rescue us by pulling us out, but instead goes in on our behalf. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media.